Hello, and welcome to Come Towards Delight, the podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gregson. My mission is to find everyday people who are delightful. The people I interview have attractive energy and a positive outlook on life. And I want to give them a platform to share their stories so that others can have hope in the midst of their struggles and see delight in a world that at times can seem gloomy. I will uncover the life experiences of the guests that I interview, which have enabled them to look at life in such an inspiring and delightful way, with the belief that to understand the light, one has to be acquainted with the dark. My guests will share their personal experiences on finding their way through dark and hopeless times and give us a glimpse into the powerful gifts they received in their darkest hours to rise up, take up hope, and view life through new, hope-filled eyes. Is it possible that in our darkest hours, we are given a gift to find the light which leads to our greatest delights? Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Come Towards Delight, the podcast. My name is Mike Gregson. I'm your host, and uh, this is going to be a really fun podcast for you to listen to today. Uh, I've got Becky Davidson with me, um, who started Lotimus. I'm fascinated with what you're doing, Becky, and your approach to why you're doing it. Um, so you guys tune in. This is going to be a lot of fun. You'll, you'll learn about Becky that she has a new approach through meditation um, of kind of resetting, readjusting um redesigning your mind, if you will, um, to kind of help you break through some old habits, um, just old traditions maybe that you've formed through the stories that we tell ourselves in our mind, which we all do, right? We kind of create our reality by what we choose to believe that's happened to us in the way that we view and see things. And I think most of us, as we get a little bit older and we gain more experience, we kind of go back. We have those moments where we really approach certain things that we've believed for a long time that we have to break down and say, hey, that's probably not right. I need to kind of transition away from that and see the different way. And and I just love Becky's approach to this, this whole concept because she's got experience with going through some of those rough things where you really do come to a place you need to break it down. And the way that, that she has gone about it is fascinating to me. And you have studied it out. You've done research on it. Uh, you've practiced it with some of your children yourself, and um, I'm really excited to have you share with my audience just more about it. Um, the way that Becky and I got connected, we I, I was at a networking event not too long ago in Utah County, and um, your husband, Aaron, was sitting right across from me at the table, and uh, as we were talking to the table, kind of introducing ourselves, t- talking about ourselves, someone mentioned I do a podcast, and Aaron said, you need to talk to my wife, and I said, great, tell me about her, and uh Aaron, Aaron was such a fun guy to talk to that I was like, okay, his wife's got to be pretty cool. And you're a Californian girl, just like my wife. So you, you definitely, there's, there's things about Californians that I love, right? So this is gonna be a lot of fun. Um, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Becky Davidson and grateful to have you here, Becky. Thanks so much for coming and joining me to share your message on my podcast. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks. So tell us about you. Um, well, I am a California girl. I uh, grew up in Claremont, California. Um, I come from a family of folks who are brilliant and challenged, um, <laughs> super creative, um, super just, um, they're raconteurs, they're storytellers, they're, they're just charming, uh, fun to be around and, and they have, 
issues. Um, I have some generational alcoholism in my family, which I think is a result of generational anxiety. So my people are, on the one hand, always telling stories when they gather. It's always a ton of fun. Um, But in their lonelier moments or in their fraught moments, um, sometimes they drink, sometimes they smoke. Uh, And that's really been a heartbreaker for me personally. Um, I lost a brother a couple of years ago. He was an alcoholic who claimed he wasn't an alcoholic. And um, and he's gone. He was younger than I am. Um, so much potential. And, and his journey's over, at least this part of it. So I miss him terribly. Um, had a beautiful mother who was just legendarily good, so loved by everybody in our family, our extended tribe, our community, and she had an addiction to cigarettes for probably 30 years and eventually died of lung cancer. So I've been missing her now these 22 years. Um, And I've got a dad who's um, just as brilliant and musical and funny and creative as they come, and he struggles with um, alcoholism still. He's in recovery, sort of. But when the pandemic hit... um, and he was suddenly lonely and felt, I think, deeply anxious. He began self-medicating with uh, the potion that often seemed to work for him, and that was vodka or gin. So I've watched his health deteriorate during the pandemic. Um, so it's painful to know yeah. that you have these people around you who are so gifted on the one hand and and so challenged by addiction on the other. I, I can sense, like, it's interesting. I can sense a lot of pain there, and you just said that, right? It, it, there is pain there. Um, I would imagine your family reunions, when you got together, they were loud, they were fun. A lot Always. of stories, right? That reminds me a lot of mine. And and anxiety is a real thing that I see some of my family members struggle with quite a bit. Tell me tell me more about what you believe anxiety, Why why do people turn to substances or... Um, some of these addictions that we fall into when when we face anxiety. What is it about that, do you think? I just think that it's an opportunity to not have to feel what you're otherwise feeling. And I don't think we're good as humans, especially in the 21st century, especially um, in the internet age, at just sitting, at just being with ourselves, at letting ourselves feel what wants to move through us. And I don't think we realize pain of all kinds um, can move through us. But because we don't know that, we reach for things that help us feel um, numb uh, or just a little less anxious. And sometimes it's easy to fall into the habit of reaching for that thing, whatever it is. It could be shopping, it could be um, alcohol, it could be drugs, it could be porn, it could be sex, it could be whatever. And it's, um, it's easy, unfortunately, to become addicted to something that takes away that pain that you don't want to feel, that you don't want to sit with it kind of cuts off the narrative, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, like it's the story where we tell ourselves, I know when I'm in in anxiety, it usually is focused on something I am doing. I'm not doing, maybe I'm not doing good enough. It's, 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 I believe the root of anxiety is fear. Um, and when I, when I do that, when I go into that space, I'm, I start telling myself a story and usually it starts with, you're not good enough. Like I look around and I compare at times, but it, the story really begins with, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You don't know enough and look at everybody else around you who is. And for some reason you're not like I'm different in that way. 
that's my anxiety. And that's a narrative that plays out in my mind over and over again that I, that I really sit in a lot of, like I ruminate, like I chew it up, I swallow it, I spit it back out and I do the same thing over and over and over again. And that's very interesting because I know that the narrative that what the story that we tell ourselves is, is a lot of what you want to talk about today. Cause that's the focus of what you do. Yeah. I think our self stories really empower us or disempower us depending on our level of awareness about what that story is, whether it's working for us or not. And I've watched my people, um, and their self stories. And I've watched the way particularly my brother, um, self-sabotaged over and over and I know that it's because somewhere deep down he felt that he wasn't enough, like you say. But I think for people who aren't necessarily willing to get quiet, to sit with their thoughts, maybe they don't even know what that narrative looks like. Yeah. Maybe they just have sort of this vague sense of not enoughness that registers for them as a deep discomfort or pain. Um, so I think the first step to bringing awareness to the story that you're telling yourself is... Just becoming aware of that voice in your head, when it cues up, when it starts to get loud and nasty, and what it's saying. And I think you have to have a certain willingness to be uncomfortable so that you can register, what is that critic in my head telling me? And when? I think sometimes there are situations in our lives that will trigger us, and in those moments of triggering, all we're aware of is how deeply uncomfortable we are. And I think that's when we tend to want to reach for that thing that's going to help us not feel that discomfort. If you can move past that to a moment of, okay, well, what is it that that voice in my head is saying? Um, I had a moment several years back when I returned to teaching after a long hiatus and I had a, an experience in the classroom one day where I felt that my lecture had kind of fallen flat and as I was driving home, I had this awareness that there was this voice in my head saying, no, you didn't bring it today. You didn't show up. You, you didn't do a good job. You weren't communicating clearly. Uh, your students were uninterested. They were checking their phones or they were looking <laughs> around. But I had by this uh, time developed a little bit of awareness around the fact that, no, this was actually a story that was queuing up in my head. And I needed to pay attention to it so that I could sort of um, reverse engineer it. And so I thought, okay, so what, what is that story? I looked at it, I took it apart, and I thought, I'm going to reframe it right now, here and now. And I'm still on the freeway driving north on the <laughs> I-15 um, freeway. I thought I'm going to reframe it. I'm going to cast myself as a learner rather than a failure. No, I haven't been in the classroom for a while, but I'm, I'm a learner and I'm going to get better. And maybe things were a little lackluster today and maybe that was even my fault. But I thought I'm going to call myself a learner. That's the character that I want to be now. And when I hear that voice queuing up in my head and starting to spew, because that's what those voices always do. <laughs> they're loud. They spew. They're nasty. They're full of contempt. Um, and I thought, if I'm feeling triggered and I start to hear that voice in my head, I'm going to tell myself, oh, no, 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 I, like, it's okay, because I'm a learner. That's what I am. And I did that for several months. Every time I noticed myself 
kind of sliding back into a moment of triggering and inevitably there would that voice be. And I'd tell myself, no, it's okay. It's okay because I'm a learner. That's who I am. So just recasting myself as somebody different in my own self story sort of changed the trajectory of my life a little bit. And I began to realize, wow, if I could do this with teaching and give myself some grace there, you know, what else could I give myself grace for? But it required being willing to sit with the discomfort of hearing that voice so that I could then counteract it with a different narrative. I love it. Like you, you actually, you wanted to say, okay, what is this voice really telling me? It's not that, Hey Becky, like you really filled your class today and you just hung, you just hung it all on that. Right. I mean, it's like, okay, what, what, what is the, like, what does this mean? Why, why am I hearing this voice saying this to me? Right. And, and to transition that into, I'm a learner. And that to me, so for quite a while, Becky, I've, I've, I've changed my tone about this life from being like a test, which I still to a certain degree feel like it is. I've, ta- I've changed that to, it's a classroom. Mm-hmm. This is a classroom. And, and it takes a lot of pressure off myself by changing that tone because in a classroom, wrong answers are okay. It's okay to, to not get everything right because I'm learning, I'm growing. And it makes me more excited to look at things as learning experiences rather than like, oh, I failed that test. I need to quit that thing, right? Like I'm not good enough here. So I need that to go away. So that doesn't bother me anymore. Whereas if I'm in a classroom, it's like, I'm not good at this thing, but I want to know more because I'm interested in this thing. So I'm going to approach this thing. And then I've got more courage, more peace in my life as I go approach that. That's real. I, I love that, that what you just talked about right there. That's a, that was a really cool thing. Um, and you're, and you're a college professor. I mean, this was at UVU, I would imagine, right? Utah Valley university. Yes. And so I, I, um, I was an adjunct professor there for a few years. Um, previously I'd been a, a tenured assistant professor of English at a community college in California. So I had taught there for six years, um, gotten tenured. And by that time I was having my third baby and was finding it difficult to sort of balance work and life. But no, I'd had some previous experience teaching and I love teaching. And maybe that's one reason that I was so hard on myself that day. Um, at UVU was I, I care about teaching. I like to show up well. I like to feel like I'm doing a good job. And I think sometimes those inner critics, um, they start talking really loudly (laughs) when we're doing something that matters to us. So, um, and as a, you know, sort of, um, reformed perfectionist, I, I feel like it's crucial for us to consciously give ourselves permission to be learners yeah. and to fail. Like, um, often as a prelude to getting better at something that's meaningful to us. That's awesome. That's so cool. And those are the people I want to spend time with, right? Like right. as, as I, if, as I've learned this about myself, I'm like, I love, I love to see people that give themselves that space and mercy and grace, right? Like those people I'm very attracted to because they have something that I want to get better at. I want to improve at that. And that's, that's a lot of fun. So how did you, there's a way though that you caught yourself in that moment so that you could stop. You're already a learner. I mean, you're a teacher for crying out loud. So you, you've studied your whole life, um, so that you could give back and you could teach others. There's gotta be something inside of you that as you were going through that, that caused you or allowed you to recognize it. Is it because of what you'd seen your family members go through 
that you kind of stopped yourself and said, well, hold on a second. I don't want to go down this road. I've seen, this is a painful road for some people. What allowed you to really recognize that in that moment as you left the classroom and as you were driving home, if you will? I think it was this feeling of um, deep disappointment in myself. And again, that's another feature of my early family life um, that I vividly remember. I know that my dad struggled with feelings of disappointment in himself, and he was extraordinarily accomplished. Um, He was a superior court judge for most of my adult life, and um, at one point was the presiding judge of Los Angeles. So he had this brilliant career. He was super um, highly regarded among his peers. But I knew because I was his daughter and I'd see him come home that um, he had this voice that would sometimes berate him and it was his voice up in his head telling him, oh, you didn't show up well today. Or, um, and, and I didn't know that because he ever shared that with me. It was my mother who said, no, your dad really gets down on himself and has this sense that he's, um, he's not, he's not doing as well as he could. So I, I was aware of that growing up. And I think I recognized that I had that same tendency as an adult that if I felt I hadn't done my best or for me what that meant was not doing it perfectly, I'd, I'd have this inner critic who would suddenly get um, really strident, really loud. And I think it just took <clears throat> having more and more of an awareness of that for me to recognize, I think I'm done. <laughs> I think I want to figure out a way to quiet that inner critic. But you have to be willing to, first of all, have that awareness and then sit with the discomfort of seeing how it talks to you and what it's saying, because you can't rebut that unless you're willing to listen for a minute. That's a really good point. Like, yeah. How do you, how do you talk back to it? If you don't, if you're not willing to really listen to it, Yeah. instead it comes to you and I've seen in my own life, it comes, that voice comes and, and you get frustrated. I don't, no, I don't agree. I don't want to hear you like get away from me. Yeah, that hurts. That that that's painful. That stings. We kind of put up our walls of defense, but we just want it to go away. Hence, a lot of times people tend to run to, to substances that can kind of take their mind to a different place. That's what I did for many years in my own life, as you and I talked about before we started recording. This is this is a powerful message, and I I think I think what you're doing is you're bringing a new, um, understanding you're, you're bringing light to a subject that is very hard for many of us under to understand the, the pandemic, um, kind of allowed us to see that our, our mental, mental, physical, and spiritual health are a little bit off, especially mentally. Um, the pandemic really brought anxiety to the forefront. And, and it, it's something we've been struggling with for years and years and years. But I think we finally are starting to like really put focus on it because there are so many people that are really battling um, anxiety and battling their mental health and not really understanding it. And so what you're doing right now is, is so important and so needed in today. And it's, and it's, it's different it's not go talk to a therapist, which I highly recommend. I, I'm not saying that. But it's it's not the typical go see somebody. Maybe there's a medication and, and there's nothing wrong with medication. But maybe there's a medication that we can put you on that will put your mind in a better place. That's, that's a quick fix. That's a Band-Aid fix to me. But what you're talking about and what you're going to go on to tell us about with the work that you're doing um, is 
in essence, really helping us to change the narrative, helping us to understand how to have the full and long and lasting fix, if you will. So you're, you're kind of going through this phase in your life. You, you, you're learning to sit with the narrative. You start getting involved in meditation. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Is that, is this about the point in your life where you're like, okay, I need to approach this thing. You know, it was probably the following year that I finally started sitting. Um, I took up a meditation practice, uh, in 2015 and I'd kind of been flirting with the idea for a while, done a little reading and I thought, no, this is the time. Um, I'd actually, the year before, right around the time that I was um, getting cozy with my inner critic and deciding I want to <laughs> unpack these messages, I thought, no, I, it's time for me to titrate myself off some medication that I, at the time I felt wasn't really serving me well. Um, maybe fixing a couple symptoms, but not helping me to look more deeply at the issues that were causing mm. the anxiety. So um, so fast forward a year, yeah, to 2015, um, I decided to take up a meditation practice. And as I was telling you earlier, I, at first I thought, well, I'm going to go sit a retreat so I can have a guide um, show me how this is done. But, you know, it can be thousands of dollars sometimes when you're going to go sit a retreat for a week. And I thought, because I'm a literary researcher, no, wait a minute, I'm just going to find out who the authorities are in the space and teach myself how to do it. So I got myself a pile of books. Uh, I discovered Jack Kornfield. Um, Sharon Salzberg, John Kabat-Zinn, Tara Brock, um, Eckhart Tolle. I just found all of these um, guides. I've never met any of them, but I do feel like in a way they're my personal guides. And I started reading and I started sitting on the daily. So um, I love that you call it sitting. I mean, I do think of it as a sitting practice yeah. because that's what I do. Yeah. And, um, at first it wasn't easy because, and I tell people this, if you're going to start to meditate, Whatever you have been um, pushing off to the side that you don't want to think about or deal with, that's the first thing that's going to rise up when you get quiet and sit. But one of the things I discovered through my research and also through my experience with meditation is that pain moves through us. We don't know that. We don't know that as humans. And so we contract around it or we... We have such an aversion to it that we will we'll try to push it away or we'll try to medicate it away, drink it away, buy it away. Um, and when you practice sitting, you discover that whatever you felt you could not endure, you can. You can. And maybe you'll be really uncomfortable. Maybe you're going to cry like I did for a while the first few times that I sat, just allowing myself to feel things that I had not wanted to feel. And it all moves through you. And when you begin to get comfortable in your own mind, you realize you're optimized. We're all optimized to allow pain to move through us. But nobody teaches us that. So for me, it was a transformative practice. And six years later, I'm still meditating, often twice a day, um, using techniques and practices that I've read about, or I, I have one that I sort of have developed on my own. And, and that's kind of what helped me launch my, my business, Lotomus. But I just believe that there's all kinds of reserves of power that we're not tapping into unless we're willing to sit. Yeah. And practice quieting ourselves. I love it. Um, I love It's such a cool thing. And, and I think the word sit is fun because what happens, you're, you're busy, busy, busy. 
we're distracted when that voice comes. We don't really give it the time, right? So when we sit, we process, we give it the time sitting. I love it. Thank you. That's, I'm going to call it sitting. It's not meditation. It's sitting. There you go, go. sit. Sitting, don't, don't sitting practice. Sit yeah. Um, I, I, I want to go back to pain for a second. I wonder, Becky, um, you, you said something that is very interesting to me, how pain literally moves through us, but we have to be in a place where it can move through us. I've seen in my own life and, and in some of my family members' lives, those closest to me, where it's almost like pain comes and we hold on to it. And, and, I'll, and I'll give you an example. Um, so as I mentioned to you before, lost my father to brain cancer in his young, young 50s. And it's almost like because that pain came, it's almost like you feel like you need to hold on to that because if you let it go, that's, that's, you're in some way, you're not loving that person or remembering or honoring them the way that you should. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. So you, you allow, like I've allowed pain to come into my life and I don't want it to go away. Because holding on to it, and it, it's not present every single day. It, at the beginning, it was, but it's like I have to allow myself to hold on to that pain, so that I don't forget the memory. But in the last couple of years, I've transitioned from that because I've mentally made a decision, telling myself, "Hey, look, my dad lived an incredible life. Even though he only had fifty years, there are people that don't even get close to that." And he lived an amazing life, left an amazing legacy. And instead of mourning his life and the fact that he died young, I'm going to start celebrating him. And on those big days, right, the anniversaries, the death date, the birth date, all those things, those are celebration days to me, right? I don't need to sit and be in my pain and in some way feel like that's honoring him because I'm allowing myself to feel the miss of missing him. Instead, I can celebrate his life and the joy um, of the life that he lived. And it's it's totally changed. When I go to the cemetery now, I'm excited to be there. Like, it's a beautiful thing. And I, I the thoughts I have about my dad, I like, I, I like laugh. I'm laughing because I just think about all these beautiful things instead of it being a place of sorrow. And, and I think some people you tend to see that with, right? They, they know how to do that. They've done that. But I, I, will you talk about that just a little bit more? Like, and, and maybe it's not a death. Maybe it's a young child getting a bad grade and a parent snapping at the child or making the child feel bad. Maybe that's something, do we hold on? Do you, have you seen that as you've gotten into your studies? Do we kind of have a tendency to really hold on to that a little bit too long? Well, I think we contract around the things that we don't want to feel. And so ironically, what we most don't want to feel most sticks with us. And when you allow yourself to feel it, sure, it is painful. Yeah. Pain is painful. But as I said, not only does it move through you, but once you allow yourself to feel it, you can open to other things. And so I discovered that underneath some of uh, my pain was, uh, underneath that layer, uh, there was loneliness. And I think that's, that's one of the things that humans least want to feel is lonely. But when you sit with loneliness specifically and you feel it and you sort of touch into it and you, and you just allow yourself to experience its texture, it's, it's, um, it's color. And you let that move through you beneath that there's an openness. Hmm. And so after, after, you know, practicing sitting and meditating for six years, I can tell you that 
I look so forward to it because often whatever feels a little uncomfortable, I know that that's, that's going to move through me. And then underneath that, there might be something else and I'm going to feel that too. But eventually what happens is I can just feel myself opening to something that is expansive and peaceful. Often I'll get ideas, creative ideas that come to me in those moments too. So if we're willing to allow ourselves to open to the things that that we don't want to feel and we let those move through us, there are things on the other side of that that we can't experience any other way. And it's hard even to describe them unless you've experienced it. Um, so I guess I've, I've found that one of the, the biggest gifts of a sitting practice, a meditation practice, isn't so much that I can control my mind now. I don't know that I can. <laughs> but I'm in touch with experiences that I think every human could be in touch with if they were willing to sit with the things they don't want to look at um, that I can't, I can't access any other way. Tell me, before you go any further and really get into the what you're doing now, what does sitting look like for you? Like, how did you, how did you start getting yourself to a place where um, you wanted to sit? And then, I, I guess that's a bad question because you, you're kind of already led up to that. But when you sit, what do you do? Do you just try and empty your mind or do you really try and allow yourself to process what you're feeling in those moments? Well, and as soon as you get quiet, whatever needs to be felt will ask for your attention. And if you're willing, you can give it your attention. It might be boredom. It might be anger. It might be bitterness. It might be um, grief. And the more you sit, the better you get at identifying what you're feeling and being able to name it. There's an exercise that Jack Kornfield talks about in his beautiful book, um, A Path with Heart, which I would recommend for anybody starting out on a meditation journey. He talks about naming the demons. Um, anger is one of them. Fear is one of them. And I think we each have our own demons that visit us more frequently. For me, obviously, it's been uh, just a deep sense of anxiety, a sense of not being at ease in my being, getting comfortable with that and recognizing, oh, here it is again. After a while, you almost develop a little bit of a sense of humor about it. And so when the anxiety starts up, I can feel it. I know where it lives in my body. I know, I know that feeling. And I'll say, well, hello, (laughs) you're here for lunch. Okay. You know what? Pull up a chair. Um, so instead of trying to push it away or judging it as bad or judging myself as bad because I somehow can't deal with it, it's like, well, here it is. I'm going to feel it for as long as it wants to be felt. And then after that, there will be something else. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to circle back to what you said about, um, you know, you're going to decide how you want to curate your memories of your dad. I think that's so powerful. And there's a Harvard neuroscientist, Dr. Srini Pillay, who talks about, and his, his book is called Life Unlocked. It's a beautiful book about um, overcoming fear and anxiety by sort of retraining your brain. And he talks about how we do have a choice um, of the kinds of memories we want to hang on the galleries of our minds. And I've noticed I had so much grief for so long about this mother that I had lost who was such a huge figure in my life. I didn't even let myself think about her. It's been more than 20 years and I'm just now deciding, no, I get to curate the memories that I want to carry around of her. And I have a beautiful memory that I've begun revisiting as part of my sitting practice where I take myself back to this moment. She was um, maybe just a few weeks from being gone and I was helping her put her nightgown on one night um, helping her get ready for bed. And 
uh, we were lying down on her bed, facing each other, looking into each other's eyes. And I said to her, because we knew that the end was close, I said, are you scared? And she looked at me and smiled. And she said, no, I'm not. I'm not scared at all. And to this day, I find that so extraordinary that this woman who really just, she just had that one vice, the cigarettes, right? Yeah. Um, to be able to transition from this life to the next without fear seems like such an extraordinary legacy. Yeah. And I remember what her face looked like. I remember just the shimmer in her eyes. And I think, okay, that's the memory I'm going to carry around. Yeah. So choosing the, the memories that we want to kind of, as I said, hang on the galleries of our minds. And that's Dr. Pillay's uh, metaphor. But I think that's really powerful. We can't always choose sometimes the thoughts that pop into our heads. Yeah. But we can consciously choose the memories that we want to um, embrace and to carry with us. That's powerful with your mom. How cool is that? That she's just, I'm not scared. And like, I'm sure the peace was, it was very much surrounding her in those moments. Very right? much. Yeah. That's amazing. I love that. That's, that's a, that's someone who um, looks past just the here and now and understands the feelings we receive and, and, and kind of the purpose that we receive those for and how to create your character. That's really cool. Um, thanks for sharing that. So as, as you're starting to sit and you're, as you're starting to really understand meditation more, what it's doing for you, uh, you kind of have an experience with, um, one or two of your children where you are at, you actually have an opportunity to really practice this with them or have them practice this themselves. Right. But you transition it a little bit. Yeah. I, I mean, the practice that I was doing is something I would call more of a monastic practice. Um, you know, it involved a measure of discipline, a willingness to sit, to sort of be with things that otherwise, you know, I might've considered really uncomfortable and just to kind of work through that. I recognized that a couple of my kids could probably benefit from some meditation. I had a, a young man who was maybe 10 at the time and in a gifted program at school, really struggling. He's very bright, but he likes to work at kind of a slow, deliberate pace. And unfortunately, this gifted classroom setting was um, uh, at a really fast pace. And I would say that it was less enriched than it was just... Um, you know, fast paced and demanding. So he would often get sent out into the hall to finish up his math work. And he started to feel really down on himself, really deficient, really less than. And he was starting to get anxious about going to school. And I thought, okay, so he could probably really benefit from meditation. But I knew that he wasn't just going to be able to sit the way I was sitting. And so I said, let's, tr let's try this. A 10 year old boy isn't willing to yeah, sit. Yeah, <laughs> no, how about that? So surprising. <laughs> So I just decided I was going to hang a story on the meditation and make him this journeyer having this meditative experience. And so I, I created, um, a sort of an ongoing, like a little story for him where he was this adventurer in the North country, like maybe the Yukon or somewhere, yeah. just like, I mean, you know, Jack London, white fang kind of a thing. Yeah. And I gave him a dog, a husky, um, whose name was Faultless. And I would have him either sit, sometimes he would actually sit next to me kind of in a meditative posture. Sometimes it was when he was going to sleep at night and I would just lie down next to him on his bed. But I would tell him stories and I called them meditations, but really they just featured him as kind of a journey or avatar, having these experiences that would lead him eventually to some bit of wisdom. And usually for him, the wisdom came by way of his experiences with this, with this wolf dog. 
That's so cool. Faultless. But it allowed him to learn to sit. Yeah. So, and then I had an experience one evening with my daughter who was 16 at the time and really struggling to manage her life and her moods. Uh, She had a friend who was suffering with some suicidal ideation, and um, that was very painful for her. She was also trying to hit all the marks on her college resume. And she came into my room one night and was unraveling, and I said, let's do a meditation. And so she sat down next to me on the bench at the foot of my bed, and I, I did kind of the same thing with her that I'd been doing with my son. I just led her out by way of a, an imaginal journey into this um, meadow where there was this uh, tiny creature huddled on the ground, uh, face pressed to the ground. My daughter has always loved fairies, so I made this creature a fairy in this little meditative story. But it was a fairy whose wings had sheared off. Oh. And so I had my daughter imagine kneeling down on the ground in front of the fairy and just placing her hands on the fairy's back. And lo and behold, here comes a new set of wings sprouting from the fairy's back. And then the fairy disappears and I, and I had my daughter imagine the experience of feeling wings actually sprouting from her own shoulder blades and lifting her up into the sky. And I just wanted her to have this experience of both healing and then being healed. And I was kind of just making it up as I went along. But when I finished, you know, she was, she was sobbing. She crawled into my lap and wanted to be held. And I just held her until she finished crying. And I um, described the experience to my husband a day or two later and we were having breakfast together and he stopped and, and he was a little teary himself. And he said, you know, maybe you've got something here. Maybe this is something you could do for, for other people. And so I think that was actually when the idea for Lotomus was born. Love it. It's I'm, as you're telling the story, I'm sitting here going, I've got to create a story about pandas because my daughter, my nine year old daughter needs to hear about pandas. There you right? go. Yeah. No, but but that's that's beautiful. It's because it a kid, a child's mind, anybody's mind. You find something you love can grab onto that, and then you can allow yourself to feel these emotions through the story. And and as you said, you kind of get to a point where there's like you you have to work through some things in the story, right? There's yeah. like a hurdle you have to jump, or there's a barrier you have to process, and you get you train your mind at that point if you continue to do this to actually like be okay with that to process that and to go through that that's a powerful thing so so you talk to your husband he gets excited he's like maybe there's a thing here and then and then what's the next step for you well the next step i think was um thinking about what it would whether we could record these what that would sound like and my husband um actually bought a uh he, he bought some equipment so that we could practice recording and I look back on those recordings now, and I mean, I think they served a purpose. Yeah. They gave me a little practice, but no, eventually we, uh, we had a conversation with a good friend of ours, um, Dane Holmes, who does the music now for Lotomus. He does all the musical underscores. He's extraordinarily talented. Um, and he heard one of my recordings one night when he and his wife and kids were over for dinner, and he said, wait, wait, Becky, is that you? <laughs> I said, yeah. And I was actually, I mean, I was playing it for his beautiful wife, Jessica. And he said, wait, hang on. Um, what are you, what are you doing? So I told him what I was trying to do and kind of what my idea was. And he said, well, come over to my studio. I want to record you. We'll use a couple different mics. We'll see, you know, we'll do a couple takes. He said, I just want you to hear yourself on some good equipment. 
So I did do that. My husband and I both went over to his studio one evening and we ended up staying for probably three hours just playing around. And when we were done, uh, my husband, who's kind of a serial entrepreneur, said to Dane, um, you know, Headspace has had like five million downloads now. <laughs> and um, and Dane kind of stopped and he said, well, maybe maybe, maybe I produce you then. <laughs> so... At that point, he connected me with his production partner, Caleb Loveless, um, and the two of them are Slow Wave Studios. Caleb and Dane are Slow Wave Studios. They're just amazing musicians, sound engineers. Caleb does the Foley work for my journey recordings. But that was, that was a good three years ago. We're starting into our fourth year now, working together as a team, doing these what I call mind journeys, And for listeners who want a meditative experience, but may not trust themselves to be able to sit with some of those pesky thoughts and emotions, this is an alternative that is very game-like and playful, that casts listeners as journeyer avatars and takes them out into a meditative experience that feels very much lived, very embodied. And when they're done, yeah, they've staged a couple of strategic workarounds, they've been world building, and they get to claim some bit of transformative wisdom. And that's the whole point. You said a couple things that like really um, are interesting to me in the sense of like it relates to people today so much in the sense of avatar, use the word avatar. Yeah. That's a kid. I mean, every kid now plays video games, right? For the most part, that is an understood word in our generation, right? And and you're sharing these through fantasy stories. Well, many people get lost trying to believe they're a different fantasy character. Disney, right? We create these incredible movies that little girls grow up wanting to be princesses. So if I want to feel like princess so-and-so, I see my little girl Indy. Um, if she wants to feel a certain way during the day, then she goes and puts on that princess's dress. She's going to become that person, right? So we we have a natural desire to actually do this kind of stuff, to almost live an alternate lifestyle. Not a lifestyle, but live an alternate life of like what we dream about, right? And you're actually putting it into thought. You're telling it into stories where where we can do this in stories and, and cross these barriers. If we're willing to sit... If we slow down enough to sit, especially for kids in our world today, we have taught ourselves as adults and we are teaching our children that busyness is a good thing. Sure. Busyness creates value. And and I, I have to say that the older that I get, the more busy that I get, the harder I am on myself and the less happiness I feel in my life. But when I slow down and and I and I process and I allow things to really be there. And I, and I need to get better at this, Becky. This is it's very interesting that you and I are talking today because I'm looking at this and I'm hearing you and I'm going, holy cow, like this is what I need in my life right now. And I've known that for a while. I just didn't know how to do it. But but you are taking this idea and you're actually doing something about it. Um, you're well studied. You've gone to professionals in meditation. Uh, you're now working with people who understand music, and and you're you're on this path and this journey of creating this opportunity. And there there are others out there, sure. But like, 
this is unique because you put characters into this thing and kids it draws kids attentions to that they actually they they love that kind of stuff we love that kind of stuff and so this is opportunity so i'm all for i'm all for what you're doing here this is phenomenal well i appreciate the love and um yeah we're we're interested in getting eyeballs on the on the product and ears um on it i mean it's it's a herd product obviously it's you know it's delivered by way of uh, recorded journeys that I write and that my team produces. But yeah, it does give people an opportunity to step into a role that I think is a crucial one, and that's the role of the hero journeyer. As humans, you know, having our moment on the planet, we're already in that role. We're just not always unfolding it wisely. So to give people the felt experience, the embodied experience, which is really what it feels like. It's meant to really like trigger all your senses and make you feel like you're there having this experience. But to give people that when otherwise they might view themselves as um, failures or screw ups or lost causes or whatever, because those self stories in their heads are so, so pesky it's powerful to just sort of set off into your own uh, imaginal terrain as this empowered journeyer where you can practice being resilient, being gritty, being strategic, and being wise. And it's meant to feel so real that, in fact, you want to go back and listen to another and another. So so cool. And, and I think that as you're doing this, as you're in this journey... I'm sitting there like imagining myself doing this right now. And, and what you're doing is you're actually choosing, you're making choices along this path, even though you're not the one that's like actually physically um, creating this journey, this hero, this character has to, has to like make choices throughout the process. Right. And so in your own mind, you're getting in a pattern of creating these choices that are really good choices. And a lot of times what happened to us happens to us in this life going back to anxiety, going back to fear, going back to painful feelings, that pain that you've discussed quite a bit. Um, when those feelings come, what do we do? We decide that we don't want to make choices. We try and go, we try and go to the quickest, easiest fix. It can be an addiction. It can even be video game addiction, right? We see that a lot in our world today or even on our phones, social media, which something to make our mind escape so that we don't have to make choices because that place we're in right now, that's not really something I want to think about a whole lot. So therefore, I'm going to push it away because I don't want to choose anything about that thing. Going through this process, you're teaching your brain in the most positive way to be a hero and make heroic choices. And those are pretty simple choices in this fantasy story, I'm assuming, right? Like you watch, a, you watch any Disney show with a, with a hero in it. These aren't the toughest choices in the world, but like you're going through the practice of it in your mind. You're, you're getting in the habit of actually like doing this. And so when these things come, it's easier to make choices. That's a, that's a, that's a powerful, powerful thought and way you're going about doing this. Choice is crucial. When you make a choice, you're going to have to move. And so all of these journeys involve movement. And of course it's imaginal movement. You're actually sitting so, I mean, one of the taglines that we played with early on and that I still sometimes use to describe the product is uh, body goes still, mind goes on a journey. 
So yeah, you're still, you're sitting still, but your mind, I'm going to, I'm going to launch your mind into um, a world. And even though, yeah, I provide kind of the narrative infrastructure for that journey, um, people, people's imaginations go crazy. Um, I did a, uh, some work with um, a group of middle grade boys a couple of years ago at the state mental hospital down in Provo. And I taught them this practice, which I've since begun calling a journeying practice. And um, afterwards, we usually discuss and talk about the experience. And what I found really striking um, was that the boys would describe these, you know, this meditative moment as if it was lived experience, as if they'd actually done this, experienced this. Um, and so it's meant to feel like a first person um, journey that you're the hero of. And I'm hoping that meditation for a certain population, maybe of people that just have trouble otherwise sitting still, that it will just become a viral thing. And they'll be like, no, this feels like a game. This feels like I'm the hero of a game. That's my hope. That's awesome. And I, I want to take it back to talking about something you said about your dad real quick, because I think, I think this, um, market, if you will, uh, this world, uh, there are more people than, than even would recognize themselves that that something like this could be helpful. Um, about your dad, you said he was a judge. He was one of the top judges in California, right? Where he was living. It was LA mm -hmm. and a very accomplished man, very well studied man. And yet he still had this demon, if you will, of not being enough. Mm-hmm. Okay, most people I know in my life that I've met, even the most accomplished, have those moments where they, they don't feel like they're enough of something, whatever it is, it, but that voice is there. I saw that in my own father. I'd see my dad walk into a room and have a, an ability to engage with people and lift people up um, in a way that I haven't seen with many others in my life. And then there were moments that I remember walking with him where I could tell that there was just a weight on him and in his mind. And when I'd ask him, he'd say, Oh, nothing. It's okay. But I know that he had bad. I know he had his inner demons that he was battling of not feeling enough. The world tries to give us a value and tries to put a price tag on us and say, this is our value. This is who you are. This is your title and all that stuff. Right? I think, I think most of us on this earth, deal with that, that voice inside that says you aren't good enough. You're not enough. No matter your age, I think, you know, from old to young and one of, I'll just tell you real quick, Becky, one of the past guests I had, um, his name is Joe Schmidt and he is an amazing person. You, you would love what he had to say. He, um, he wrote, he's written a couple books, um, called impact and he talks about like certain principles and things that we really want to try and work with through ourselves to become somebody that makes an impact on others. A lot of it has to do with service. Um, and one of the things he talked about is he said, you know, we focus so much on, on depression and anxiety in young children and young, young teenagers, but we forget about adults. Uh, there are many adults who are lonely, what you said earlier, who are lonely and, and who, who don't feel their value in this world. And we, we often forget about them. And I just think you're, you're doing something right now. You found a need that is a universal need. 
and um it's amazing and and i and and i just think you, your process and the the way you're going about it creating stories about heroes in a way that relates i'm excited to listen so tell me tell me about how um how how do I get my hands on this? Like, what do I need to do so that I can listen? And then, is there is there are there stories for all age groups, or is it more geared towards children, or or is it just hey, this is a universal story; it'll fit any age group. You know, right now it's sort of optimized for probably like eighteen to I don't know, eighteen to fifty maybe. Um, we've had some unexpected feedback from listeners that I didn't necessarily think it would land with but it is landing with like, they're really, they're really liking it. Um, I started out originally thinking I was going to do it for kids. And then once we began recording, you know, early feedback from 20 somethings was really positive. So I would say, I don't know, 20 to 20 to on up. Um, that doesn't mean kids couldn't listen. There yeah. are a few who do. Um, some of the themes maybe are a little more, I don't know if adult is the right word, probably not, but, um, so for kids who are readers um, and kids who are gamers, certainly they'll recognize kind of the gaming aspect of the of the recordings. But um, I'm interested actually in circling back to um, kids as an audience and developing some things that are more consciously geared toward them. So that's kind of in our wheelhouse for sure right now. We're looking to do that maybe in the next year or so. Um, but for right now, it's sort of young adults and adults who are interested in self-optimizing. Yeah. So are, is it, tell me, tell me another thought that I had is, is it if, Hey, if I'm having problems in my marriage or if I'm having problems with my relationship with money or I'm having problems with schooling and studying, do you have like, is it topic like that? Or is it just, Hey, a story of a hero going forward, meeting an obstacle, processing it, going through it, making a choice that kind of encompasses yeah, all of it. It's, it's more that. Okay. So in terms of discrete skills, like handling money, getting along with your spouse, it's not so much that, although I think, um, listening to these recordings and doing this practice, if you will, might help you be a little more strategic in the way you approach problems in yeah. your life. But no, these are, we've organized the journeys, um, according to the elements, earth, air, fire, water, so the collections right now include, um, uh, for example, one of the water journeys that's free on the website um, is called Snow Pavilion. Oh, cool. And it's a journey that takes you into kind of a fantasy New York City. You're the avatar looking for a mysterious um, uh, ticket. And you eventually find three of these and you end up in a, a pavilion that you yourself have built with a kind of magical power. <laughs> But there's a there's a definite conflict, and you have to solve that. Um, so these feel very much like um, like games, I guess. For people who are avid readers, it will feel like being in a story where you're the main character. But there's always some bit of transformative wisdom at the end that you're trying to capture. So this is this is meditative wisdom delivered by way of um, hero's journey stories. I'd love. I I just think it's fascinating. I think it's really cool. That what you're doing, um, and I, I'm 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 actually really excited to go. Maybe today find a time to sit and uh, do it for myself and practice. I, I it's so needed. And, and as a father of three young kids, um, as I mentioned to you, um, one of them now starting to really deal with some anxiety. Um, this like I I we we try our best to like 
sit down when there's anxiety and really help her process and understand and talk through it. But even that sometimes can be overwhelming on a child's mind because they don't really, they don't have the experience that a lot of times your words really are impactful to them with what you're saying. But to have like this narrative of a story and it puts them in a place where they get to be an avatar um, and they're in a fantasy land, which you love. It's very creative. You you get to imagine this as you go, right? Like you, your character and my character are going to look totally different, right? And and the colors and, and what you're doing. Um, that's a beautiful thing. And it really unlocks a child's mind. And, and I, and I gotta, I gotta be honest. Um, I believe in God and we, we come from God and God is the ultimate creator. And as soon as we lose our desire to be creative here on this earth, I, I think we kind of, we kind of digress instead of progress and and um, we're supposed to create. And I, I think, agree. Yeah, right? I think being creative is awesome. I agree. And I think it requires a measure of discomfort that we have to be willing to sit with, learn how to sit with. I think, honestly, if you're going to thrive, you have to be willing to be uncomfortable. Yeah. So whether it's a business journey, a family journey, um, I don't know, a, a journey to, to understand your inner demons, you, you got to be willing to be uncomfortable. But on the other side of that is um, self-knowledge, is a discovery of what you're actually capable of that maybe you wouldn't have thought you were capable of. It's um, a discovery of, honestly, peace, ease of being, even bliss. But there's a, but you, there's a price, and that's a willingness to sit with the things that otherwise plague you in order to understand them, let them move through you, and see what's waiting for you on the other side. Is it worth it? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Man, so cool. Um, okay, I like this. Um, Becky, tell me then a couple things. I Just a few questions for you. Have you done some case studies with this? You said that you went to this mental health uh, up in Provo. So yeah, the, the uh, State Mental Hospital in Provo did some beta testing for a year with a group of boys. The middle school campus is at the hospital, it's, it's in lockdown. Like, I mean, it, it was long yeah. before the pandemic. So I had to be buzzed through like three different doors uh, <laughs> to get to be with these boys. But it was honestly, a re- it was an honor for me to be able to work with them yeah. and to see the way this seemed to give them a tool for dealing with their own discomfort, for kind of modulating their own behavior with a little more skill. I loved that year. And I've worked with some other groups since then, just kind of testing out the journeys. Um, and like I say, sometimes it, it, I find that it's landing with people I didn't expect it to. So women of a certain age, um, even women my own age, actually are responding really positively. To so it, the which 20, delights the, me. The, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, twenty-somethings <laughs> with four kids, and <laughs> yeah. Hey, we're in Utah. There could be a twenty-something year old with four <laughs> no, kids. No, that's true. That is absolutely true. Yeah. Oh, that is awesome. And I, I it, like, I'm sitting here thinking about this. I'm like, my, my daughter, even nine, it would probably love this concept because she's way more intelligent than I was. Her mind is, I mean, just the, the access to how kids learn these days. It's, they're light years beyond where I was at that age. And so I, I would imagine this is something she would cling on to very easily. And for her, I would recommend probably Whale Song. Okay. Um, that's something she could easily enjoy. Okay. Probably just sort of disappear happily into... That's awesome. Yeah. What's the next step for you? Well, we've built out this beautiful web app. It's not an app app yet, as I was explaining earlier, but um, we're on our way to that, hopefully. 
but our coders have done a really amazing job of optimizing it for phone. So you pull your little mobile device out and it behaves, it looks and behaves just like an just app. Just like an app. Yep. So you can go on your phone, just open up a tab, go to lotimus, L-O-T-I-M-U-S dot com. It'll take you to the site. You can enroll and there are two batches of journeys that are totally free right now. And they include, each of them includes three exercises. And from my perspective, that's where the money is, yeah. is in the exercises. And that sounds like it's a chore, but really these are just like mini journeys that take you right back into that same world. Um, so it's, yeah, world building meets meditation. So explain explain the exercises again to me real quick. Like like why would you say that's that's where the money is? Because you get to have an opportunity to practice a specific type of skill. Ah. So if that skill is coming into the present moment and learning to just be in the now. Yeah. Every journey batch has an exercise pretty much that allows you to practice doing that. And of course, it's by way of a narrative, a story. Yeah. So that's awesome. And you heard what I said earlier. I, we were talking before and I said, there's this song I've been listening to. It's called Meet Me in the Moment, right? And, and I, I mean, how often times throughout the day do I say, I want to be so much better at just being present in the moment because yeah. the moment is all you have. It's not, that's it. It's all you have. And, yeah. and, and I still like it, even though I put so much focus on it, I still have so far to go before I'm actually like there and there throughout the day all the time. Right. I think in moments of moments I'm there, but I'm excited to go and do this. That's cool. So those are the exercises. Yes. So okay. if you end up on, um, uh, the, the page, for example, uh, for Snow Pavilion, which we were talking about earlier, there's a main journey, roughly 20 minutes long. It's going to have um, ambient sounds. It's going to have, um, you know, the sounds of traffic in New York City. It's going to have all, all of that stuff. It's also going to have a beautiful musical underscore. Cool. Um, and then there are three exercises for Snow Pavilion. And so each of those is going to give you an opportunity by way, again, of a little narrative that takes you back into that world to practice skill building either you're going to come into the moment and see what that feels like or there's one called sculpt your truth where you're going to imagine that you're sculpting something and you your mind gets to decide what shape that takes this is super educational too right like i like i'm, I'm thinking about all these companies like imagine learning here in utah county and many of these online learning courses are trying to break away from the typical mold of what we what we've had for years and years and years and and we're trying to advance things but I'm I'm listening to this and I'm like this is the kind of education that really you may, you may need to go obviously do a typing class to get the skill right but like one thing that we're missing that school never gave us is how to process things how to how to go about when fear comes into your life, when a bully comes into your life, when when money, when finances start to overwhelm you and you just want to break, suicide rates are super high right now. And it's because we we haven't actually gotten the education that we probably need to put the most focus and emphasis on. It's it's It brings the mind, the body, and the spirit all into this realm instead of it just being one thing in, in one realm, it's, it's, it kind of allows us to get so much more out of that and get to know ourselves. And I just, man, I, Becky, you are, you're, you're doing a great thing. And how can we support you? 
Well, um, you know what? Tell your friends about it. Get them listening. Um, as I said, there are two free batches of journey content on the site. Uh, Snow Pavilion is a water journey. Dreamcatcher is an air journey. And they're both just weird and wild. It's my storyteller brain kind of going crazy. But, <laughs> but people, I think, love the experience of feeling, even though it's just in their mind, feeling like they're having this, um, this experience, this moment. And if they're otherwise experiencing a problem building traction or momentum in their life, or they're just so depressed that they can hardly move, this is going to give them that felt experience of moving, seeking, discovering, um, and sort of touching into a part of themselves that, that is still alive and awake. And I would agree with you um, about our, our schools. I don't think that they really do an adequate job of teaching kids to sit with their emotions, to identify them, to discuss them, but more than that, to, to transmute fear and turn it into fuel, uh, to take anxiety and, and be like, well, okay, but I'm still going to choose this in spite of the fact that I'm anxious. And until there's that kind of a, a, a very enriched component to our schooling for our young folk, they're going to continue to be fearful and anxious. So transformational education, I think, is something we're sorely missing. I love it. I applaud you for your efforts and what you're doing. This is this Thank is you. something. Yeah, I mean, this is something, Becky. That it, it's so needed, and the fact that you're putting so much focus on it um, is spectacular. And uh, I so I encourage anyone who hears this, I encourage you to go check it out, and and let's support this idea because I think if anybody stops and sits and thinks about this for a minute, you definitely recognize that this is a need for our world today. Um, I, I always ask people um, in, in the podcast interviews what the, what, what the gift is that you receive during your, your hardest, most difficult, darkest times. Um, and I feel like you've kind of given that to us. But, but, but tell me, Becky, what's that gift that you've received because of the experiences that you've been through? For me, the big gift is... Um, the power of the imagination. I mean, it's my own imagination that I, I think um, kind of sputtered to life several years ago and started working for me when I was thinking about how to help my kids deal with difficult things. And then I began to have this realization as I just acted on that and moved, not always knowing what direction I was going to go with it. Like it was my own imagination that said, um, what if you did this? And what could this look like? And how about this over here? And often, as I've said multiple times in our conversation, that involved me sitting with some discomfort if I was going to move in a direction or give something a try and I didn't know what the outcome would be. But really, imagination is everything. It really is. And so having a tool that lets you touch into that in order to go off and then do something that maybe you were born to do. Um, You know, there's a great quote by... Brene Brown, who's kind of a, a hero of mine, best. she says, you can be brave or you can be comfortable, but you can't be both. And I think when your imagination's firing, though, you're a lot more willing to be brave. Yes. So let's touch into our imaginations and rediscover what it's like to play there. And hopefully Lotomus will help some folks do that. I love it. What does Lotus, Lotomus mean? You know, it's just, a, um, it doesn't mean anything. It, just, like it. it sort of calls to mind, you know, the Lotus flower. Eastern wisdom traditions, maybe, but I just wanted a word that meant nothing but suggested a lot. It's a it's a pretty word. Thanks. Yeah, it, it really is. Lotomus. That's a it's a really cool word. 
Can I tell you something that I actually thought of yesterday? And what you just said totally struck a heart chord. Um, I was I I love music. My kids know how much I love music. Like I am just like when and it, and it's about sounds to me, but it's it's mainly about the message of the song. Not even necessarily the words. The words are so important because they create the message with the sound. But it's like the spirit of the song. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting there doing the dishes last night. Like I'm 40 years old. I think my passion in life is music. I love I love people. I love public speaking. But I think my passion in life is music. I it makes it make it it tugs my heart more than anything else in this world. I cry a lot sometimes when I hear music that really gets me, right? And I'm I'm sitting there thinking I'm like how can I start my own band? How can I, how can I, I'm I'm a 40-year-old man and I'm like I'm trying to go down this trail and I'm like I I don't know. This is scary. And then I, I kind of stop myself and I'm like, you know what? If I really wanted to do this, if I was serious about this, I absolutely could. What's stopping me? You must do it. Yeah, right? If your heart is pulling you in that direction. And if you let yourself start imagining like how that could feel, how yeah. cool it could be, what you know, who would join you and what kind of music would you make? Look, that's just fun. I mean, life's already serious enough. Let's play. Right. That. Thank you for saying that play and 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 that i think that is such an important thing and and my my dad used to say all the time hey son this life is you've got to work hard no doubt like you're you know that you're just you see that all around you but if you work hard you've got to play hard you've got to play hard and and then what i'm learning too now is make sure you've got the work hard play hard and we need to sit so i'm gonna sit okay Okay. You can sit with Lotomus, I promise. You're you can. awesome. Becky, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank um, you so much for inviting if, me. If, if, my pleasure. I, gosh, you you're, you have a brilliant mind. You're very, obviously, you're, you're very intelligent, well-read. And I think that's what's, it's fun to hear you talk about this stuff because I, I know your heart's in it as well. And um, so thank you so much for your message today. If any of the listeners want to contact you, is that okay? Oh, absolutely. I'd love it. Okay. Then do you have your information on the website? Um, that's a really good question. Do we? You know, it's easy. Becky, B-E-C-K-Y, at lotimus.com. Okay. L-O-T-I-M-U-S.com. You can send me an email. Tell me what you think. Tell me what you want. What I like to ask people is, how could this serve you better? What would you want it to do that it's not doing? Like, what work do you want this product to do for you? Tell me. I love it. We'll figure it out. Because it's such, the concept is there. The idea is there. But maybe a tweak or two or maybe Absolutely. a directional thing, right? Like that's, yeah. But but the concept is brilliant and, it, and it's going it, to it's gonna do some great things. So I'm excited to watch it go. Thank you. Thanks, Becky. Thank you for tuning in to Come Towards Delight, the podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed today's show. I would love to hear your feedback. You can subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or any podcast platform you use. If you or someone you know has a delightful story to share that I need to talk to, please email me at come towards delight at gmail.com.